0: My renewed group on Friday, we were discussing in our experience of the book of James, and and one of the things that came out in our discussion was the fact that uh, Bruce has told us repeatedly that this is a pastoral letter from the pastor James to the church in Jerusalem and beyond that, particularly the Jewish church. But uh, one of the things we discussed Friday in our group was that sometimes James is challenging our notion of what it means to be pastoral. Because he pulls no punches um, in terms of challenging us to live in light of the gospel. And uh, we'll see that again here this morning in this passage. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace.
1: Thank you, Rob, for reading that. I I think you must have been looking at my notes. I literally have written here, I love James because he doesn't pull any punches. (laughs) It is the reason that I think James is such a powerful, um, powerful book is because he is always just... Straight up with what, with what he's saying. If you don't like it, he's not going to back down, right? He and, and the Holy Spirit within him are, are calling things like he sees. He's not going to soften the blow just to make the rest of us feel a little bit better. So here in chapter 3, he does that, just that, right? He's talking about, about wisdom. He's, he's going to talk about these two different kinds of wisdom. He's comparing them, these two kinds that we might call um, earthly wisdom and, and heavenly wisdom. Um, but just to be clear, I think that's what, that's what we call it. But James understands um, this worldly wisdom to be much more sinister than all of that. He says that it's earthly, but it goes much more deep than that. He says, actually, the wisdom of this world is from the very depths of hell. Worldly wisdom, he says, is is demonic. In other words, right, you're either following a pattern of wisdom that is from God, or you are following a pattern of wisdom that is from Satan himself. And those are pretty strong words. And I think what is hardest about them is that for many of us, I think that we are following the wisdom of Satan and we think, that is, we have have deceived ourselves into believing that it is actually godly wisdom. And and perhaps it isn't that big of a deal that we we have demonic wisdom. The problem is that the wisdom of Satan leads to the decisions of Satan and the actions of Satan. And pretty soon, you're not just thinking like the devil, but you're acting like the devil and you're living like the devil. And everything in your life, right, right, everything in your life. This is what it just seems like it's. Well, actually, it seems like it's going so well. Right. And you're finding this, like, just great success in life. You're being blessed in life. And, and, and I mean, of course, as a, as a good Christian, you're going to turn around and you're just going to give praise to God for his kindness, not realizing that actually the success that you are experiencing is a gift of Satan meant to keep you convinced that you're going the right way. And all the people, right? All the people that are, that are around you at, at church. I mean, they, they just see the blessing on you. They see the great success that you're experiencing. So they, so they put you, they put you in positions of, of power and they, and they ask you to teach and they ask you to speak and they ask you to disciple other people. And so of course you, of course you do. So you begin to disciple other people. But the only way you know how to disciple people is to disciple them in the only wisdom that you know, which just happens to be the wisdom of satan And it continues on through the generations and you end up with churches that are being run entirely on the wisdom of Satan. And you end up with Christian books that are being written entirely based in the wisdom of Satan. And and, and you end up with theology that is being created entirely out of the wisdom of Satan. And into that system, James is asking, who is wise and understanding among you? you. And I would be careful before I raised my hand. And I think that that sort of of deception, that that sort of misunderstanding of wisdom runs rampant in our churches and especially in our church in America. So let me just give you a shorthand way of knowing where your wisdom comes from. The wisdom of God always pursues the kingdom of God and finds it. And the wisdom of man pursues the kingdom of man, but it finds the kingdom of Satan. And and the key question that's at the heart of all of this is simply whose kingdom are you pursuing? Whose glory are you actually going after? And so James starts in this passage to just unpack earthly wisdom, the wisdom of man. Perhaps we just call it the wisdom of of Satan. That's what it is, right? He begins to unpack that and he says, here's what's at the root. At the root of the wisdom of Satan is jealousy and selfish ambition. The wisdom of Satan is rooted in a pursuit of me. The wisdom of Satan is rooted in me being able to get one up on my neighbor and me being able to prove myself by advancing in the world. The wisdom of Satan measures everything by the way that it affects me. How can I advance myself? How can I promote myself? How can I prove myself? It's all about me growing my kingdom. I remember one time I I lost a job, and and I walked out of my boss's office after that happened, and all I could think was, oh, I'm going to get a job somewhere else, and I'm going to be amazing, and then you're going to hear about it, and you're going to look back on this day as the day of the worst managerial decision that you have ever made. And for years, literally for years after that, every time something would like, like I would do something else or I would advance in one way, oh, I hope they're hearing about it. I just want to rub it in their face. I was controlled, completely controlled by jealousy and selfish ambition. Right, jealousy says that I have to catch up with, I have to surpass other people in the categories of life that matter. So I have two options, and, and I think that we take both of these options at different times in our lives. One way that we do this is we just double down in our pursuit of the things that matter, right? I'm just going to make more money than them. I'm just going to have a nicer house than them. I'm just going to have a better car than them. I'm just going to have a more attractive spouse than them. My kids are going to be better behaved than them. My kids are going to go to a better school than theirs. My kids are going to be better at sports. They're going to be more successful. I'm just going to double down and I'm going to win. But the other way we do this is we just reorganize the things that matter. Right? By changing the rules of the game... We get to win. So, I mean, yeah, you may have more money than me, but, I mean, I work in ministry. We all know what really matters. You may have a nicer house than I do, but I just think it's important to have a yard for the kids to play in. It just seems really important to me. Yeah, your, your spouse may be more attractive physically than mine, but, you know, they're kind of annoying, don't you think? Don't you wish you had a nice spouse like mine? I mean, your kids may be better at at some things than mine, but, well, I mean, we made a decision to homeschool our kids because we just think that family time really matters. And yours may be better at at sports, but, I mean, mine just really love Jesus more. I mean, look how nice they are, right? And our jealousy just goes on and on and on. And instead of calling it jealousy, we call it wisdom. And we spend our lives trying to make ourselves look better than other people. And the twin brother of jealousy is selfish ambition. It's not about me catching up with or or surpassing other people in particular. But I do want to have everything that I want to have right? I'm, I'm in pursuit of my own pleasure and, and comfort and safety and, and happiness. And, and I'm not necessarily jealous of other people because that would require me to actually think about other people. And I don't really think about other people unless I'm trying to think about what they can do for me. I mean, isn't that really just like the root of the entire American dream? I used to teach at a, at a high school. Now I work with college students. Let me tell you what a lot of students are thinking, what a lot of parents are teaching their students. I'm working really hard. These parents are working really hard so their kids can go to a good school, so they can get a good education, so they can get into a good college so that after they graduate, they can get a good job that pays them really well, and then they can get married, and then they can just repeat the whole process all over again. What a terribly short-sighted and sad vision and hope that is. But the wisdom of man pursues the kingdom of man. But the wisdom of God pursues the kingdom of God. I've been thinking recently about the ways that we make decisions in, in our lives. I've, I've been thinking about some big decisions in my own life, and so I decided that what I was going to do is I was going to write out a pros and cons list. I mean, maybe you've, maybe you've done this. And as I began to do that, I began to notice that everything that I labeled con, do you know what they were? They were just all based in fear, in discomfort, in lack of security, and I was headed down the road of making a decision based entirely on the wisdom of Satan. I was letting my fears and my desires for comfort and security rule my heart and mind. And then a couple of weeks ago, Peter, um, Bruce preached in a sermon, he talked about Peter Milne. You may not remember this, um, but Peter Milne is one of those guys they called a one-way missionary. He's one of those guys who they, they just, they bought a one-way ticket to the mission field because they planned to die there with the gospel. And I thought, surely that guy, that guy made a decision not based in selfish ambition, but based in sacrifice. Not based in the wisdom of Satan, but in the wisdom of God. In your worship guide, there's a quote by this pastor, David Platt. Um, I'm not going to read it to you. You can read it on your, on your own time. But it's from his, his book, Radical, which is, which is so good. I love that quote in particular. But I want to take a moment to read you a different quote from that book. And it's really just a series of questions that he asks. And um, he asks us to consider carefully what we would say to these. And here's the context. He was at a church and he was sharing about mission work. And as he came to the end of his presentation on doing mission work, he sat down and one of the leaders of the church leaned over to him and said, David, I think it's great that you're going to those places. I mean, but if you ask me, I'd just as soon God annihilate all those people and send them to hell. So David, reflecting on that comment... Says, consider these questions. So here they are. How many of us are embracing the comforts of suburban America while we turn a deaf ear to inner cities in need of the gospel? How many of us are settled in the United States and we have never once given serious thought to the possibility that God would be calling us to live in another country? How often are we willing to write a check to someone else as long as we don't have to go to the tough places in the world ourselves? How many of us parents are praying that God would raise up our children to leave our homes and go overseas even if that means that they will never come back? And how many of us are devoting our lives to taking the gospel to people in hostile regions of the world where Christians are not welcome? He goes on to say, certainly few of us would be so bold as to say we just as soon God annihilate all those people and send them to hell. But if we don't take the gospel to them, isn't that where they're going? Jealousy and selfish ambition so often rule our decision-making, and they masquerade as wisdom. And here's the result. Here's the result of that sort of wisdom. According to James, in verse 16, he says this, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. The result is disorder and vile practices. If my wisdom is rooted in selfish ambition, if it is rooted in getting pleasure and security and comfort out of the world, if it's rooted in that, then I will do all sorts of vile things in that pursuit. In pursuit of myself, I will allow nothing to get in my way. And we may not like the words that James chooses to use here. Right? We may not be comfortable with words like demonic. And, and vile practices. I mean, can't we just call it sin? That's a word I'm comfortable with. So let me give you an example. I was recently, this last weekend, I was at the National Museum of African American History and Culture with some students. And, and there's this quote there by a guy named William Cowper. Um, it's, really, it's really kind of haunted me, this quote. Um, so William Cowper, he was an abolitionist, actually. He was an abolitionist poet, a hymnist. Um, not These hymnals don't, but the, the previous Presbyterian hymnals had hymns from William Cowper in it. Um, and he wrote a poem expressing the satanic wisdom that was allowing people to let slavery still happen. And here are some lines. He says, I pity them. That is, I I pity the slaves. I pity them greatly, but I must be mum, for how could we do without sugar and rum? Especially sugar, so needful we see. What? Give up our desserts, our coffee, and tea? Besides, if we do, the French, Dutch, and Danes will heartily thank us, no doubt, for our pains. If we do not buy the poor creatures, they will. And tortures and groans will be multiplied still. And then he goes on to tell this story, um, just to expose the foolishness. Listen to the story. A youngster at school, more sedate than the rest, had once his integrity put to the test. His comrades had plotted an orchard to rob and asked him to go and assist in the job. He was shocked, sir, like you, and answered, Oh, no, what? Rob our good neighbor? I pray you don't go. Besides, the man's poor, his orchards, his bread, then think of his children. They must be fed. You speak very fine, and you look very grave, but apples we want and apples we'll have. If you will go with us, you shall have a share. If not, you shall have neither apple nor pear. They spoke, and Tom pondered, I see they will go. Poor man, what a pity to injure him so. Poor man, I would save him his fruit if I could, but staying behind will do him no good. If the matter depended alone upon me, his apples might hang till they dropped from the tree, but since they will take them, I think I'll go too. He will lose none by me, though I shall get a few. His scruples thus silenced, Tom felt more at ease and went with his comrades the apples to seize. He blamed and protested, but joined in the plan. He shared in the plunder but pitied the man. That is the sort of satanic wisdom that allowed the vile practice of slavery to continue for years. And frankly, it's the same sort of satanic wisdom that allows the practice of slavery to continue to this very day. And perfectly in line with our text here in James, it's that sort of wisdom that led to the disorder and the division of the civil war in America. Right into this very day, jealousy and selfish ambition has weaved its way into our politics and our politicians and to each one of us. And that sort of satanic wisdom results in all manner of disorder, in all manner of vile practices in our country. And if you're troubled by me talking about politics, just know that I'm talking about the other side, so I'm sure you agree. (laughs) Hear me. Because it's true in every part of our lives. When we follow the demonic wisdom in pursuit of our own pleasures, the things that we find ourselves doing and watching and enjoying are vile. When we pursue demonic wisdom in pursuit of our own feelings of security, the way that we treat people who look and act different than ourselves is vile. When we follow demonic wisdom in pursuit of our own comfort, the disregard that we have for the care of others is vile. And it's not just vile, but it results in all sorts of disorder. When we are living out of jealousy and selfish ambition, we create lives and communities in absolute chaos. Marriages are torn apart. Families are ruined because of the chaos that is caused by selfish ambition. In any relationship... When we are being driven by selfish ambition and jealousy, we are ripe for disorder and chaos because the wisdom of this world produces in us anger and bitterness and and resentment and divisions and chaos. And it robs us of things like like love and intimacy and trust and fellowship and harmony with other people. What we need in our lives, what we need in our churches is the wisdom that comes from above, a wisdom that is from God himself, a wisdom that isn't gained by intellectual effort or practical experience, but it's gained by spending time in the presence of God. That wisdom is not focused on the kingdoms of this world that come and go, but it's focused on the kingdom of God that will never be Shaken. The wisdom of God pursues the kingdom of God and it finds it. So how do we get it? How do we get that sort of wisdom? We just ask for it, right? That's what we're told all the way back in the first chapter of James. That's what we're told. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. We ask and it's given, it's not just given, but it's given generously. It's given without reproach, without judging you for not having the wisdom already, without discriminating against you, without holding it against you in any way. God freely and and just lovingly pours out his wisdom on all who truly ask for it. But here's the thing that you should know about the wisdom of God is that it is often not what you want to hear. Because God's wisdom pursues God's kingdom and not ours. And so if we truly want the wisdom of God, we, we, should ask for, we should ask for it believing, right, that his wisdom is actually better, that it truly is the best course for our life, trusting it enough that we would follow it no matter, no matter where it calls us to go. Right, that's what that verse means, the next verse in chapter 1, verse 6, it says this, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. Ask in faith, isn't saying ask believing God will provide it. It's saying ask with the faith to actually follow it. Because if you ask God for wisdom and then you doubt, then you refuse to follow it. You're just going to be tossed around. The wisdom of God always pursues the kingdom of God and and the pursuit of the kingdom of God means radically not pursuing your own kingdom. When Jesus taught us to pray your kingdom come, your will be done, he was also teaching us to pray, Lord, don't let my kingdom come. Pursuing the kingdom of God means sacrificing myself and my desires. And this is what that wisdom, that beautiful wisdom from God looks like. Look at verses 17 and 18. It says, the the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and and sincere, and and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. In Christ, we've replaced jealousy with gentleness and mercy. We've replaced selfish ambition with being impartial and, and sincere Disorder is replaced with with peace. Vile practices with with purity and and righteousness. Literally, the wisdom of God is the the absolute opposite of the wisdom of this world, the wisdom of Satan. Because the wisdom of this world says, take care of yourself. And the wisdom of God says, take care of other people. The wisdom of this world says, build walls that separate you from the people that you fear. And the wisdom of God says, engage with them with peace and gentleness and mercy and sincerity. The wisdom of this world says, save your money. And the wisdom of God says, give it generously, give it freely, give it joyfully. The wisdom of this world says, don't listen to those who disagree with you. Fight for your positions. And the wisdom of God says, be impartial. Be open to reason. And in our churches, don't we just so often baptize the wisdom of the world and call it Christian? We fight so many battles over doctrine that we forget about the widow and orphan in their distress. We spend so much time trying to feed our minds that we forget to feed the stomach of those who are starving. And we think that discipleship means that I need to make people who look and act and believe just like me instead of hoping that they would begin to look like Jesus. I mean, how often do we misread that beautiful verse in Romans chapter 12, right? We tell people, hey, don't be conformed to the image of this world. But then we stop there and instead what we say is, don't be conformed to that image, be conformed to my image. And if we're a really good Christian, we say, don't be conformed to that image, be conformed to the image of Christ. But here's the thing, it doesn't say that. The goal is not that you would be conformed, the goal is that you would be transformed, right? What the verse actually says is be radical, substantial, comprehensive, thorough change has to happen in you. Not just that you would fit into a mold created by me or even a mold created by God, that's not what it's after. It's after an absolute life change. That's discipleship. And what does it have to do with Romans chapter 12? It's because it says the way that you are transformed is that your mind is renewed. The way that you're transformed is that you leave behind the wisdom of this world and its way of thinking and you have your mind radically changed, radically renewed by the wisdom of God. And when I start thinking about all of that, the thing that sticks in my mind more than anything else is just how much I need wisdom. In my day-to-day life, because frankly, in my day-to-day life, I don't normally think about it. But recently... Right, I've been wrestling with these, these decisions and the Lord is beginning to use these decisions in my life to reveal, to reveal how often I'm making decisions out of jealousy and selfish ambition. And I'm realizing more and more how much I need my mind renewed. I need the wisdom of God, the beauty of God. That's what I need. And here's the thing that's amazing about it. If I will ask, He will graciously give it to me. But I have to be willing to follow it. The wisdom of God pursues the kingdom of God, and it finds it. The wisdom of man pursues the kingdom of man, but it finds the kingdom of Satan. The wisdom of God is absolute foolishness to this world, but it is the way of our salvation. Think about it. God created us. He He loved us. He provided everything that we would ever need. And we responded by abandoning him, by trying to build ourselves up so that we could overthrow him, by hiding from him, by, by lying to him, by accusing him. And in the wisdom of this world, we would be dead, snuffed out because of our rebellion. But the wisdom of God acted in mercy and pursued us in love. The wisdom of God allowed himself to be hurt over and over again. The wisdom of God responded to the ways that we were destroying his creation by coming and living among us in the midst of the brokenness that we had created. The wisdom of God was brutally killed in order that he might save the very people who killed him. The wisdom of God sacrificed his very life to save his enemies. Why? It seems so foolish. But the wisdom of God pursues the kingdom of God. And no greater victory has ever been known than the victory that was won on the cross of Christ. The wisdom of God is pure and peaceable and gentle and open to reason and full of mercy and good fruits and impartial and sincere. And if you don't see it here, let me just make this, the wisdom of God is Jesus. Jesus is wisdom personified. First Corinthians 1.24, we're told that Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And let me tell you, I'm not sure how we look at Jesus, the wisdom of God, and make so many of the decisions that we make and think that we're being wise. I'm not sure how we justify the way that we do, but I know this. I thank God for the death of Jesus on the cross. And that may be the most foolish thing that any person has ever done. Why would Jesus die? Because the wisdom of God pursues the kingdom of God. can we just look at that passage in 1 Corinthians just really quick? 1 Corinthians 1, um, 18 to 25. It's just such a great companion to our passage here in James. So this is what it says. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than man. I love, I love that Paul does the same thing here that James does. Where he calls out the people who think that they are wise. He says, who, who, where are you? Where are you? Okay, you're fooling yourself. You're fooling yourself. Your wisdom is not wisdom at all. There are two things that people are seeking after, power and wisdom. And God has so much power that his weakness is stronger than man's strength and so much wisdom that his foolishness is wiser than any man. But his power and his wisdom are shown in sacrifice. Jesus' death on the cross seems like the worst idea that anyone would ever came up, come up with, and yet it is the most beautiful thing that we will ever see. Nothing seems weaker than Jesus stumbling his way towards his own death, unable to carry his own cross. And yet his willingness to go demonstrates more power than anything else that you will ever see. You want wisdom? You want power? Lay your kingdom down. Your ambition, your desires, your, your, your pleasures, your comfort, your security, lay it all down and take up your cross and follow after Jesus. And if you can't do that, you lack wisdom. But hear me. Ask of God, and He will graciously give it to you. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. If any of you lack Jesus, let him ask of God who gives generously. Let's pray. Lord God, we need your wisdom. We have tried to to think our way in the right direction, but over and over again, we we have just failed. We long for wisdom from above, but Father, we are also, we're terrified of what that might mean. Lord, we believe that your kingdom is best, but we pray that you would help us in our unbelief. Help us to lay our kingdoms down, to lay our earthly pursuits down and fully and freely pursue you and your kingdom. God, we need you with each step. So give us strength. We pray, Lord, that you would fix our eyes on Jesus and help us to just run after him with endurance. It's in his name we pray. Amen.